0: Radio listeners, This is Lonnie Lowry. I am an exercise physiologist and a sports nutritionist. Um, I'm not a journalist. We'll get to why in a second. Uh, and I'm a former competitive bodybuilder. Hi,
1: everyone. I'm Rob Fortress-Fortney. I'm a journalist, former competitive bodybuilder and powerlifter.
2: And hey, everybody. This is Charles Staley, author of Muscle Logic, creator of escalating density trainer, training. And uh, I am uh, a master's level weightlifter.
3: Uh, this is Phil Stevens. I'm a uh competitor powerlifter, strongman competitor, and uh state chair for the North American Highlander Association.
0: Cool. And our guest today is Doctor John oh, was... Foreman.
4: Yeah. I'm a uh, sports performer, sports chiropractor, uh sports injuries. Um and right currently I work with the University of Arizona track and field and cross country teams. Yeah, sorry, I was gonna do an intro, but I would oh. let you do that.
0: Oh, okay. Sorry, man. I just wanted to get John's <laughs> voice in there, I suppose. Cool. He'll be good for the topic. Um, what I want to start with today, and the reason that the, the comment about me not being a journalist, but as as listeners heard that Fortress is a journalist, is that um, I'm just going to share a, a reader mail, or a listener mail, rather, this week, So just so people know that we do, in fact, uh, read this stuff. But... Um, this uh, Canadian listener, he said he was initially enthused when he downloaded the podcast, hoping to get some valuable info, but that wasn't entirely the case. And uh, he's going to offer a couple suggestions. It says, may I offer a couple suggestions based on my 17 years in broadcasting that can assist you in improving the show? So absolutely, man. Let's you know talk about what you like. One of the things that he liked or, or didn't like was uh, he said, we have too many hosts And that four people on the show makes it kind of cumbersome to listen to. And then he also made some comments about the topic. He said, for each podcast, ask yourself, what's our topic? uh, What questions can we ask? uh, And then give people information along those lines that will interest them. So I think I just want to my own comments with that. And Fortress, you're the journalist. You can chime in here if you want. But um, actually, we do have a topic for each show. And what we do is have sort of a a rotating schedule where if um, the topic is my week, then I might lead the conversation a little bit more and hopefully have a guest that will mesh with our topic. And if Charles uh, has a a particular topic or a guest, then he will lead that week and then Rob and then Phil. So just, um, dear listener, that's kind of where we're at with that. So if that feels a little chaotic to you, I apologize. But I do think that we um, are a little bit chaotic. We are a little bit conversational. But you know what? This is a labor of love. We're not making a ton of money from doing this. So um, I hope that you can, in fact, at least get uh, some valuable information. I did appreciate that you said each of us has something to bring to the table. And, um, And I think we do. And I think our guests do. So anyway, I just wanted to throw that mail out there and I don't know what any of the other hosts or even John has to say about that but it's you know it's appreciated to hear that professional journalists are listening to us it's just um you know our show is set up in kind of a eclectic manner and and by the way the audience is really as we kind of pointed out in the very first intro show the audience is essentially anyone who's interested in using resistance work to improve their physique and performance and that's very broad you know, and we we've talked in the past, and we'll probably talk in the future about how those differ. You know, how Olympic lifting is is different from bodybuilding, which is different from general uh, functional fitness and things like that. Right. So, um, it, it's it's a broad audience, and and I think we do realize that.
1: The only thing I ever saw with the you know multiple voices on the phone was you know as as far as new new listeners not being able to differentiate who's talking when, but. Certainly, if this thing is of any value to somebody, I think you know after a few episodes, you'll of course be un- be able to uh, again differentiate who's talking where, that type of thing. But uh, yeah, I mean, it is as as what you say; it's kind of a chaotic little show we have here. But I mean, it's working for us right now. So, uh, but we, certainly we appreciate people making those comments, and we try to uh, accommodate those people.
3: Yeah. I think uh, one of the refreshing things about the show is that. You know, there was a mention in there that we should, uh, you know, study up on the topic more or whatnot. And like Lonnie was saying, well, like this topic, is it's my week. And so, yes, I, I bring questions to the table. And then I think one of the neat things is is that we are kind of trying to be a little bit of, of everything to everybody, but we can't be. And we're we're more taking a – not a clinical view so much as a, hey, look, we've been in this game – Here's my interpretation of
0: Yeah, get ready for lots of opinions, right? I mean
3: in in the, in, in the game. And it's more opinion-based and and real-life based than it is us going out and blurting out research studies all the time.
0: Honestly, I I'm a little slighted by that. I try to at least throw in my two cents about what work is going on in what labs or yeah. you know or or whatever. And I know that's boring to some people, but I also if it's going to boost the uh, the worth or the educational level of it all, then I do try to do that when I can.
3: I think that's refreshing as
0: well. All right. Well, that's pretty much it. So thanks for the input and, you know, keep them coming.
3: Okay. um, Again, today's guest is uh, Dr. John Foreman. I met John through a mutual friend, uh, another John, John Godina. Uh, We met at this year's Highland Games Festival here in Phoenix. And since then, uh, we've met on a few occasions. I've been to his practice, seen it firsthand and talked with him and just kind of figured that he – I knew he had some interesting – Interesting stuff and be a great guest on the show. Uh John, he's a he's a graduate of DePaul University, uh body talk practitioner, a chiropractic physician, and a certified chiropractic sports physician. his practice is here in, in Arizona in Gilbert. It's sports docs. Uh you can see the link down below if you're on the, the podcast screen here.
4: Um
3: he's specializing work with, working with Olympic athletes, professional athletes and uh and whatnot for, for the last fourteen years. Some of the notable people he's treated in the in sports is uh people like sugar ray leonard jason kidd danny manning Brian greasy to name a few um john thanks for joining us
4: great love being on the show
3: i hope my uh bio did you a bit of justice if, if i missed anything please uh feel free to to add it in there if there's anything that i, I left out of importance
4: nah it's, <laughs> it's just eye candy there we go or in this in this case ear candy so yeah yeah okay um to, to
3: go on here, I guess uh, we we got a limited time, so I don't want to touch on on everything you do. I don't think we could in one show. No, impossible.
0: Um, <laughs> how
3: much you do at the facility? So, I mean, most of the things you talk about that people generally hear about when it comes comes to your work is the chiropractic and the and the soft tissue work. I want to touch on some of the other methods that you use. A couple of them, and uh, maybe you can give myself and the listeners kind of a, an intro education into the into the sure. topics. Sure. So, sure. Where do and, you want to start? Um, let's start off with the, the super-pulse lasers. You've talked about that quite a bit, and okay. I had some experience with that in your...
4: Yeah, I, I use a lot of Russian technology in here. Um, they're just so far ahead of, of the United States, um, and, and they're going to do what's going to help the athlete or the patient improve their performance, decrease their pain, uh, normalize tissue. Here we have too many FDA regulations, Um Uh, So, you know, it takes a long time for that stuff to get past. But the super pulse lasers I use are are, uh, through the company called TerraQuant. Um, It's TerraQuant laser. And super pulse means that this laser where your typical lasers in the United States, like uh, the ones I use with Lance Armstrong that have 15 milliwatts, the ones I have, the power goes up to 50,000 milliwatts. But it's only on for nanoseconds at a time. And what they found with that research is it drives it deeper into the tissue. So you can treat them for a much shorter period of time. You're talking three to five minutes as opposed to maybe an hour. Um, and you're getting significant change in, um uh, tissue, uh, function because you're working with the polarity of the tissue because they have a, a, a three and a half Tesla uh, millitesla uh, magnet in there they have microcurrent that actually finds blockages of inflammation or if you have a fracture or a degeneration scar tissue whatever it is and it tries to repolarize the tissue so it can regenerate itself um, it's got red, red light laser which most people see here they see the red lasers problem with that is is if anybody's read my articles that I've written about lasers uh, in the last couple years is that these companies are telling you that the red light laser will help you with you know everything from A to Z problem is red light laser penetration is, is three to five millimeters at most. Typically, the research shows one to three. So you're not going to get very good depth penetration if you got like a, if you're like you, Phil, you know, Mm -hmm. big, thick guy, I'm not going to work on your glute and your hip and your low back and your shoulder even. Uh, it it might do some things with some pain because it's hitting some pain receptors in the skin, but that's about it. So if I'm actually trying to change tissue function deep in the tissue, not going to happen. So the super pulse laser is going to go, about five centimeters that's that's where you're going to see the huge difference with that is you're getting better depth penetration, shorter periods of, of uh, treatment um, duration, and then overall numbers of treatment will be a lot lower and that's pretty much what I pride myself on in my clinic is I want the fastest uh, response uh, from the patient as possible i I don't believe in three times a week for six months or even six weeks. It might be two times a week or sometimes three times a week for one or two weeks reevaluate our way in the right path. If not, do I need to do something different, or do I, do I need to send you somebody else? And I've always stuck by that. I said, you know, you give me six to eight at most if it's a real bad car accident or a real bad sports injury, or or after re, or during rehab after an, uh surgery. I'll say give me ten visits. If I'm on the right track, you'll do you'll be doing a lot better, and we'll keep going. If not, do something else, or send somebody else.
3: So, gotcha.
4: I mean, I know from from my treatment. I mean, with with some of the other lasers,
3: you know, like you said, you might feel a warmth in the skin or whatnot. But this thing, I mean. I would describe it kind of like a tattoo gun. That's <laughs> you know, oh, yeah. what I felt. I mean, you actually, I mean, and it was down there hitting things. I mean, I'd find small muscle contractions and whatnot as it was hit, hitting different nerves and in and, and the deeper tissues. And yeah,
4: there's, just, there's you know, nothing like this laser. I mean, like I said, it's Russian technology, and so um, there's a there's a patent on this one. You know, no one can say they have a super pulse laser because there's only one company uh, that that has it. As a matter of fact, the guy uh, Max Kinarski, he's the president. Uh, of uh, Multi Radiance Medical, and I, I talked to him. He went uh, this last fall to Russia, and he said, "You know, I brought back enough information." I said, "How was your trip?" He said, "I brought back enough information for our company with this laser for the next 10 years, at the minimum, five years for 10 years." He goes, "The stuff they're doing is incredible, and and they use lasers like for immune function. They'll do things to irradiate the blood because um, they want systemic effects." they don't want just localized in the shoulder they want systemic effects um and so you can do things to help people with their immunity um with lasers too if you got a deep enough a deep enough laser the other one is too a lot of these don't change frequencies so it's the same frequency and the frequency will have to do with what you're trying to treat 250 hertz is for fractures um 50 hertz is for inflammation 5 hertz is for more chronic stuff a uh, thousand hertz is going to be for pain. Three thousand is going to be for inflama- uh, edema. So a lot of them are pretty much a set, preset um, frequency, and you're going to be trying to treat, you know, inflammation with the wrong frequency. So you might get some results. It's just not going to get the best you can get. So,
0: John, how do you, can you explain a little bit about the mechanism? I mean, how does how does this um, laser technology affect so many different things like that?
4: Well, you know, lasers are are coherent light as opposed to a flashlight that, you know, you go to a Grand Canyon, you have a laser light, you have a flashlight, that flashlight diffuses, it's not coherent, it it breaks up and won't travel across. You take a little pen light and it goes all the way across uh, the Grand Canyon, you know, several miles because it's a coherent light. They think that the the laser light works because the, the communication through the cells in the body is through coherent communication or coherent light. Um, If you've ever seen any of that work with uh, Rupert Sheldrake, where he took cells from someone in Los Angeles. Um, I don't remember exactly what the cells were, but he took them across the country into New York, kept them viable, exposed that person to to different temperatures, and the cells reacted the same way. There was another guy that did that with um, a lie detector and found that when he put someone under, uh, asked them a certain question, that he got the same exact response in the cells that were many, many miles apart. So we know that the cells communicate, and we know that every cell of the human body communicates um, exactly how that all works. We're not really sure. We do know one thing is that it ha- has something to do with the mitochondria. And so the mitochondria, as you know, are the uh, uh, energy warehouses of the, of the cell. And so if we're going to get anything done, whether it be through performance or through, tissue regeneration we've got to have real good strong mitochondria and so that's one of the things we know that it does uh, along with ATP synthesis and, and and a bunch of other pathways um,
0: so in um, addition in to cycle. kind of paracrine autocrine all these or cytokine um crosstalk chemical crosstalk there's there's energy crosstalk is that kind of the idea exactly
4: right exactly okay okay yeah so we do know that it does work with the cytokines it's 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 going to do it give you pretty much like a cox 2 inhibitor um, there's a lot of things that, d- that do that, too, but, you know, without all the side effects. So, um, yeah, lasers have been around for a long time. I mean, they've been in Russian since, like, the 50s. So, and they've used them for, I mean, every condition you can imagine, um, they've got protocols for. So,
3: Nice. Um, okay, the other one, let's go ahead and move on to the next. Uh, I was just reading about this. I don't have any uh, experience. I think I saw one of the Gear, Gear clients
4: using it while I was there, but uh, the Paraliminal Technology? Oh, okay, so paraliminal para means above or beyond, liminal is the conscious mind, so you're going above or beyond the conscious mind. I use some things uh, with a guy by the name of Paul Sheely. Um He started a company, uh, Learning Strategies Corporation out of Minnesota, mm-hmm. And and so the things that I use there are to break past the conscious beliefs, whether it be something you were given as a young child or something you're given to, is it from a parent or society or you just took on yourself you're not good enough you're not smart enough you'll never mount anything you can't do that you're too small you're too fat you're too whatever right yeah. It's to break through that uh, cuz we know that on a daily basis you don't know how many times you blink your eyes you don't call down to your stomach after you eat a a protein drink and say you know I need so many enzymes coming from the pancreas into this you know to digest this food it just does it automatically that's the subconscious mind that, that controls us you know, I always mess with patients and say, hey, I want you to consciously, you know, take your right hand and take your index finger and touch your nose. And they do that. And I said, well, you can't do that. And They said, I just did. Well, you didn't consciously do that because if you consciously did that, you would know which muscles you'd have to contract, which ones to relax at the subconscious program. And so the whole idea then is to, to get better health or to get better performance or lose weight or um, to uh, feel better about yourself Um you know you have to you have to break the subconscious programs and there's a lot of different ways to do that obviously there's you know all kinds of therapists out there and that kind of thing yeah. i just like things that the patient can do on their own that they can break some of these blocks um and you know there there's there's i have a library of i don't know like maybe 30 or something there's some where you can go back and change your history uh you know change in, a behavior you know all kinds of different things and you're listening to it right ear left ear because we also know that Uh, for the conscious mind to be uh, basically occupied, the guy's talking in both ears at the same time, giving two different messages. It's really bizarre. You have to listen to it to understand it. Uh, Some people say, well, it's kind of like hypnotism, that kind of thing. It's not because um, you're being directed, but you're allowing it to happen, um, and, and you're not hearing it in both ears the same sound. You're hearing different words because they're trying to communicate with the right and left brain. So, That's,
3: uh, I mean, you said the hypnotism, and the other thing I think about is you see a lot of the sports psychology stuff now, and uh, just, you know, it's preaching, you know, very positive to yourself, and, you know, you hear picturing one's goals and whatnot to make it happen. I'm, I know yeah, I've but, talked to plenty of lifters, and they'll, you know, before they go in and lift, they'll they'll be picturing that in their mind,
4: running out the... the uh, the program what's going on in your mind right you now that'll work but here's the problem though you do you really believe that i mean yeah. if your subconscious program is Phil, there's no way in hell you can lift that um, because of something here's the thing though but before the age from you know the time you're in the womb to the age 7 your mind is a complete sponge it'll take in anything that you're being told whether it be true or not um, and whether it's meant to be derogatory or not for example i had a patient where uh It was, you're never going to amount to anything. That was what I got from him in doing some body talk stuff and and, and some qigong and some other things with him, was he was never going to amount to anything. And the long story short was, he wasn't being told that by his parents, and I was asking about his parents and stuff, and this guy's a doctor. He's very successful, um, but he wasn't as good as he could possibly be. What it came down to was, his brother was being told that. You're never going to amount to anything. You're a piece of crap, you know, that kind of thing. I said, well, what's the significance of that? Where's your brother at? He goes, in prison. And I go, Well, what's the significance of that? I go, what do you think of your brother? He goes, he was my idol. Uh. So he sees them talking that about, you're never going to amount to anything, you're a drug addict, you know, know," and he doesn't amount to anything. Then his subconscious says, well, yeah, if you look up to him, you can't amount to anything either. Sounds crazy, um, but I had an athlete come here from uh, Switzerland, same kind of thing, and hers was that – she had a boyfriend when she was 13, and now she's 23. She started having upper back pain, left interscapular pain uh, between her shoulder blade and her spine since she was 15. So for eight years, no one's ever helped her. And she came in. I said, you know what? I could do all this great laser stuff and all that. I just honestly believe that's not where it's come from. Some kind of subconscious belief that you have, you know, and it came down to, long, very long story short, is that, uh, her boyfriend broke up with her when she was 13, because I kept getting this image of her getting, she, she played hockey, she played for the Swiss national hockey team, and that she landed on her back, like she got, uh, her legs cut out from underneath her, got checked into the boards or something. No, no, no. I said, well, what about that? Wait, did you have a boyfriend at that time? All of a sudden, it just popped in my head. And she said, well, yeah. I said, well, what happened? She goes, that was my first boyfriend, he cut my legs out from underneath me. And so it was the symbolism of legs cut off from underneath you, what do you do? You land on your back, got down with her, she got off the table, she's ninety five percent better. Hmm.
3: That's what I was gonna ask you is the experiences you've had with it. Um you know, that kinda of leads into just from talking to you, it's very much um kind of like we do, it's positive reinforcement kind of through everything. Um just how powerful the mind is. I mean, in training and I think I guess rehab and everything. I mean if you if you can get a patient or a client or yourself to actually believe that you can do something. I mean, there's a damn good chance you're going to do it.
4: Yeah. Well, you know, what's the saying? If you believe you can or believe you can't, either way you're right. Um, You know, whether it be you believe that nutritional supplement's not going to do anything for you. You know, there was research back in 1994 where an MD took 10 patients that had uh, osteoarthritis of their knee, you know, had degeneration of their knee, and they all needed surgery, you know, based upon medical knowledge. And so he opened all of them up. Two of them, he actually did the surgery, did the scraping, cleaned out saline, sewed them back up. Three of them, he um, cut them open, irrigated them, and five of them, he just cut them and then sewed them back up, didn't do anything. Every single one of them, I have this article in my office, um, after six months, every single one of them reported that they had decreased symptoms, and none of them knew which ones had had the treatment and which ones actually had just the five didn't know they were only cut and had nothing actually done to them, but they all felt better. That's the power of the mind. That's what drives us. They, they do That's that in animal models, program. too.
0: It's called see? sham surgeries, right? Where exactly. They just open them up and put them back together and then uh, see what the kind of uh, symptoms or what the results are, right?
4: Yeah. Well, you know, and it's all about, if you look at anything, whether it be nutrition, whether you're talking chiropractic, whether you're talking strength training, you're all talking energy work. I mean, whether it's the energy in the body or... Phil, you have this really positive energy. People come to work out with you. Why do they want to come back? What are you doing that's, I mean, don't take this the wrong way, but same thing with me. What am I doing that's so earth-shattering compared to everybody else? There isn't, because I didn't come up with anything new. Everything I'm using, everything you're using is is a take on something someone else is doing. I mean, people lift weights. But I'm telling you, what it is that attracts them is the positive energy that you have that you make them feel together we can do anything. And when patients come in here, the first thing I tell them is, if I'm the guy for you, you're going to see visits. You're going to see a change in this period of time, and I really think I can help you because I don't advertise. You know, like you guys, people come from word of mouth, and so that's really powerful. They're already coming with. I know this guy's going to help me. I've had people walk into my door saying, I-, I feel kind of stupid, and I go, Well, I already feel a lot better. I could hardly walk three days ago, but I said, well, What kind of things were you saying to yourself before you came in? They said, Well, I just heard such great things about. It. I knew I was going to feel better when I came to see you, and I'm like, Well, there you go, right there. That's it right there. I can't tell you how many times I've had that. I I feel kind of stupid because I I actually feel a lot better. Or there's patients where, you know, all I've done is talk with them. I've had some female patients that are just looking so bad. You know, I said, hey, you know, what? I know you probably need some treatment, but right now it just looks like something else is going on. You start talking to them, they break down crying, they leave, and they go, my God, I feel great. And they come back. Why? Because you're you're empowering them. The whole idea is not for them, and you guys believe in the same as I do. That's why we've hooked up is we need to empower them because they can do this on their own. They don't need to come see me three times a week forever. That's ridiculous. How about empowering them so that they don't have to come see me, but when they do come back, I can just kind of keep adding a little bit more, a little bit more, a little bit more, keep recharging Pretty
0: much like you guys doing your workouts. Talking about there is a lot like well, the Hawthorne effect. You know, it's It's the reason that researchers no. use placebo groups. So, you know, you run two groups, you treat them exactly the same in every way, but one of them is getting a placebo. And, you know, it's it's amazing sometimes what percentage of the – even the placebo group will improve. It's, it's that kind of uh, support and positivism and attention and how people respond to it.
4: Yeah, you know, there's been so much research with most of the drugs out there. That, uh, with placebo, and that's exactly right. If you, it's the same idea. If you believe it's gonna work or you don't believe it's gonna work, they've they had a study with that. I can't remember what the drug was, but it was a really heavy duty drug. Um, I can't remember, this is back in like the 80s, and um, the people that, that did not believe they were going to get better, that were given a drug, didn't get any better. The people that were given placebo didn't give, weren't given anything, right, except the sugar pill, and believed that whatever treatment they got, they were going to get better. They got better. So th- the power of the mind is amazing. There's a guy, uh, Dietrich Klinghart, out in the uh, 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 state of Washington, that says that he actually doesn't even give vitamin supplements, he, he'll only give like one pill, then he uses a, a laser, and I think it's a green laser. I, I haven't seen this guy yet, but I've heard about him um, through some interviews and stuff. And he says that he just lasers the information of that pill or the energy of that pill uh, into their biophoton photon field, uh, which is several inches outside the body, which we think is a storehouse of the information of the body as opposed to the brain. And he's actually seen documented cases of people change. Win their blood work just with doing that, and they never yeah, actually. The, even the real fall trick for
0: consumers, I think, and listeners is when, when you're uh, going with this kind of uh, positivism and, and the support and some of this outside the box thinking. It's, it's important to realize that you know there are um, there are differences in, in the different kinds of responses that humans will have, and uh, it, the real trick is to try to decide uh, to maximize the power of the mind. I think, and try to decide at what point can um, this Hawthorne effect, or or the power of the mind, actually help, and 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 what other situations might other things be required? You know. Yeah.
4: You know, there's some people I don't even talk to them about that because I know that they're that's too far outside their box. Now, obviously, my opinion is the box is too small. Then, because I don't think my box is that big. Um, I don't think it's that crazy um because i still do a lot of traditional stuff i still send people to traditional mds um that need it right but you just have to know who the patient is what they're looking for and what they're willing to accept because if they're not willing to accept it, it it won't matter you can give them the greatest treatment in the world and if they don't believe it's going to help then i i really don't want to waste my time or their time or their money yeah um, document the outcomes right i mean if the outcomes are exactly.
0: then something is working right exactly
3: <clears throat> sounds good guys um we're going to go ahead, and we're about halfway through, so let's uh, move awesome. on to the topic of the day. And uh, if you can stick around and, and uh, chat with us about that, too. Sure. And uh, I do want to point everybody to, again, the link to your site, and that's uh, azsportstocks, www.azsportstocks, is that Yep, right? Correct? dot com. Yep. And uh, – Go see Dr. Foreman if you have any questions about anything he talked about. I'm sure he'll uh want you Yeah, to actually, that. you know
4: what? Let me give him my phone number because I talk to people all the time all around, all around the country. They're family members and stuff. I don't care if people come to see me. If they want some advice or some information, I love educating people because that's what yeah. doctor means to teach and educate. So uh, my number is 480-812-9000. Again, 480-812-9000. I'm in Gilbert, Arizona, and it's sports stocks. I'd be more than happy to talk to people. Sounds great. Okay, here we go.
3: This the This is our fight. We are here to take it back tonight. Okay, um the topic of the day should tie in great here. Um what what I'd like to discuss is is pain and its impact on performance. Um not just the physical but also the mental impact and that's even more so. I think the metal is uh, more the perception of pain or the expectation of pain, and how it can can lead us to be apprehensive and and really hinder our performance. Um, of course, what got me thinking about this is is just injuries in myself, and then uh, Charles and I the other day were having a conversation, and uh, while we were training last week, and. Uh, Somehow it led to this hierarchy that Charles jotted down, and it's kind of a hierarchy of things that need to be in place um, for one to perform at their ability. And uh, at the foundation of it, what we came up with was, um, you know, flat out you need to be healthy. Um, Above all, it, it just trumps everything. I don't care how strong you are or how technical you are. I mean, if you're not healthy, it's just not going to be you know, there. Phil, and uh Phil, you know, you know, Fortress, didn't
0: Ed Cohn used to say that? Something about the number one thing was just to not be injured or, or not not be in pain or something?
3: Well, he, he
1: he told me that several times that he thinks the thing that trumps any other attribute or whatever uh, quality that you can bring to your training is is health. And he was like, if you can you know, survive the... The years of training that that's required and do it relatively unscathed um that's really the thing that's going to determine where, your ultimate success um yeah i mean all, all the talent and skill and as Phil says technical ability um gets you nowhere if you, if you can't actually you know implement it towards something that leads to you being successful
3: yeah I mean but
2: of and, course it's worth it's worth this is charles it's worth pointing out too that. When athletes talk about being healthy, they're really not talking about health at all. They're just talking about not hurting. <laughs> yeah. So oh, yeah, that's really <laughs>
4: the difference. They think if, health is is equal to absence of disease.
3: Yeah,
2: yeah or, or absence you know, of symptoms. If they're performing without pain, you know. So, so you know, for athletes, health just means like your joints not hurting. So, um, and, and not to not to diminish the importance of that, but um, it, it's a narrower definition than the general population would use. Absolutely.
3: Yeah. And I mean, I think the other big thing that got me going on this was then just my latest injury, which was last Saturday, and then I I I severely strained an intercostal or tore or
0: whatever. God, another one? Yeah. yeah. (laughs) Aren't you? (laughs)
3: I can't can't hardly. uh, Monday I couldn't breathe. Uh it's it's there's something under my ribs here that's just not in a good shape. But uh
2: That to me that's always a sign when you can't that's always a <laughs> sign that you have a significant injury.
3: <laughs> yeah. And but I go in then Wednesday, you know, I'd I'd rested for a couple of days, you know. So I go in Wednesday and it's time to squat and uh so I'm working up and I find it, it wasn't so much the pain that was limiting me. I mean sure there was pain there, but it was it was my perception or actually my expectation of pain had me getting tight in places that wouldn't be tight and it stopped the normal fluid movements and, you know, it, it turned what what would normally be a subconscious movement from years and practice and practice into a conscious movement and it made things harder and, and even hurt more because I'm tensing things that normally aren't tensed and uh, loosening up in other places that, that are and uh, how, how much that actually is more the perception of pain than the pain itself that at times really ends up throwing us off and it does that after the injuries as well i mean coming back from a major injury i think a lot of it your your biggest thing isn't the pain but it's just getting back from the mental yeah, the expectation yeah, it,
0: of pain. It, it there's an element of fear and 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 that's not completely uh inappropriate you know but i understand what you're saying a, a year after i uh I hurt my hips squatting, and only now am I getting a lot of that confidence back where I'm, you know, ready to put some actual iron on the bar, you know, and I, and I know totally what you're saying. It's good to hear you say that, though, because you're like a pro-injury uh, rebound guy, <laughs> it, it, and I, I I try to take a, a page from your book because I think, you know, listen, uh, I can do this. You know, I went and saw the uh, orthopedic surgeon guy I know, and he's he's looking at my hips, and he's like, you know – um. You might have had a partial tear, and, you know, a, a lot of that tendon might be scar tissue now, but it, its I, I don't think it's going to get worse, and it's really up to you what you do now, you know. So, like we were joking before, I think it was Charles said, Phil, you know, the bone spurs and the scar tissues are all that's holding you together. <laughs>
2: <laughs> now, of course, I have, no, I have no actual medical credentials to make that type of a diagnosis. But, uh, <laughs> <laughs> but what what do you guys think, though, about the difference? because? it it's it's so um it's kind of very popular to just immediately dismiss any tech like you know if you're talking about an anti-inflammatory or or a painkiller and and the immediate um reaction to that as well all that does is mask the pain as if that was in in you know in, inconsequential and um i, I think i, I never hear people discuss the importance of or the significance of how pain alters your movement patterns so there's kind of a a vicious circle that happens where you might have some kind of an injury and then the pain causes, you know, an alteration of your movement patterns which can further
3: increase the injury. Interesting so. enough. Um, I took a page from Lonnie's book and I actually uh, looked up some studies. <laughs> and Go! Uh, <So. laughs> yeah, yeah look I, there's a study out of Denmark that looked at this and uh, it, I found it pretty, pretty interesting. They actually used a solution and injected muscles to give temporary soreness. And then they studied the people's gait and what they found was that while they're moving that muscle the lumbar muscles that were normally silent um that were normally active were then silent they actually relaxed muscles that wouldn't normally be relaxed while they were in motion and then while they were standing still normal muscles that were normally active to to support them weren't so it it changed them totally around they they tensed up at times they'd normally be inactive and and loosened up those areas, and depended on others while they were active. So that kind of changed their their total motor pattern and how they would naturally move. So of course, I think it would lead to to
4: further injury. I
3: mean, well, that, I here's,
4: here, here's my take. So the problem with 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 nonsteroidal anti-inflammatories or NSAIDs are is that after about seven to ten days, you you your body's going to slowly stop the production of cartilage. So short term, I think it's it's a good idea because of what you just said. But long-term, then, is where people get into problems because they go to get off of them, and they can't because their joints ache. So, But I I think that you have to do something, whether it be natural anti-inflammatory or traditional anti-inflammatories, to get the inflammation and the pain down because you want movement. Motion is life. If the joint's not moving, then the joint's not getting the waste material pumped out and the nutrients pumped in. So you want to be able to have motion, as normal motion as you can. So if you have pain, you, you, you are definitely going to build neurological faulty patterns. So I think that's a, that's a, that's a great idea there.
0: A good distinction, too. Like Charles is talking about pain, and there you were talking about inflammation. So, you know, NSAIDs, we're controlling both. I mean, unless you're, well, yeah, with NSAIDs, aspirin, ibuprofen, naproxen, stuff like that. I mean, Tylenol is going to be pain-reducing or fever-reducing but non-anti-inflammatory. And sometimes it's good to control that inflammation. I think it's interesting people will say, oh, I take 400 milligrams of ibuprofen for pain, but a physical therapist might give you 800 milligrams for inflammatory control. So some, sometimes just controlling the inflammation at certain stages of injury, that's important in itself too. Yeah,
4: I agree. The one thing you talked about earlier is is one of the reasons the patients that have catastrophic injuries have a hard time coming back it's, it's it's a portion of the brain called the amygdala, and so it was, you know, they they think it's designed to to protect me so that when I see Lonnie eaten by a saber-toothed tiger, the next time I see a saber-toothed tiger, it doesn't have to go to my cortex, uh, the outer part of my brain, to go, hey, I think that's a bad idea because Lonnie got eaten, because by that point I'm eating too, is I see the cyber, saber-toothed tiger and I take off running. Well, the same thing, I go, oh my God, I'm going back to play football. Last time I did that, I blew my knee out. I remember how bad that was, and... The body reacts to that, so the amygdala gives you this response as though the same thing has already happened, even though it hasn't happened. So that's part of where, when people try to come back from catastrophic injuries, is they have to mentally be ready to go. And if not, even though they are physically, they can still end up with a problem because the brain and the body don't know what they're just envisioning or what actually is actually going on. So, is it putting?
1: Is are you saying, suggesting that the brain is actually putting a a tangible limitation on the body to perform to its At most?
4: Without doubt, yeah. It's trained that way? Yeah. Yeah. Okay. Unless you can go in and change that, and you can. There's all kinds of different, you know, there's a a lot of different programs to go in there. But if it's just one of those, I'm just going to think positive, well, that's a conscious... Um, um, program, you've got to go in there and change it subconsciously to change the amygdala. So I, I'll tell you why. I had a patient that he he couldn't figure out why every time he saw a little rat terrier dog, he was I mean he was about the size of Phil. And uh, if anybody doesn't know, Phil's a big guy. And this guy just hated. He was scared to death of little rat terriers. And what it came down to was when he was little, he was chewed up really bad by this little rat terrier, and ended up having like 17 stitches in his calf. So he sees that automatically. It goes, oh my god, that thing's gonna tear the crap out of me. Got to get out of here. And he just was totally petrified of small dogs, and uh, or any dogs, but especially small dogs. And um, once we got him over that, and it took only like two or three visits, he didn't have that same response anymore to the same the same stimulus.
0: Yeah, a lot of this really starts to drift into the realm of sports psychology. My wife's finishing her master's in counseling, and and you know the sports psych. Some of the sports psychology books. I bet Charles has read several of these, but they're. Really, really good, and you know, fear and anxiety keeps people from concentrating on what's at hand. I mean, you could talk about subconscious versus conscious, but even on a conscious level, you know, there's very real things going on. When Phil was talking about uh, changed motor patterns and and whatnot in the research, I know that after I hurt my hips with a seemingly light weight, I'm like, am I getting old? All these doubts are running through my head, and and when I actually got under the bar, even with two and a quarter on it. I would I'd find myself like not, you know, arching my back like I should. I'd kind of roll my shoulders forward. I, I I don't know, I was trying to compensate or something. And I'm like, you know, listen, get over it, you know. And once I had some input from someone who, you know, I trusted his diagnosis, then I I'm like, you know, listen, I if 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 I'm not going to have some major tear and major blowout then I'm getting back at it. And it was amazing how quickly my uh, motor patterns seemed to normalize after that, you know.
3: I mean I said th- I said it time and time again with all the injuries I had I've had. It's um you know, you've got to put the time back in and if you want to perform at a high level, it has to be thoughtless. It has to be automatic. You have to go in just knowing you're gonna get it done, but then all the thoughts done before the action. If you're thinking while you're doing you're too slow and you're not gonna get the job done. I mean coming back from Atlas, I'm just getting to where I can lift Atlas Stones again. And before, I mean I I went into a competition about a year ago and Every stone I was grabbing it and, you know, oh, okay, that doesn't hurt yet. Okay, doing good. Boom, you know. (laughs) You have to get to the point where you can just grip it and rip it and go. And and if you want to perform at the highest level, and a lot of that is just getting past your conscious mind and confident enough that you can just do it. I mean, same thing with squatting and anything else. You need to just get under there and go. If you're thinking, you know, that's that's where practice comes in. If you want to (laughs) – you go to compete and do do well, you gotta be able to just do it.
4: see, but what like we talked about when we first met though is is you have a great philosophy, and that is it's not going from point a to point b, it's how you get there. Yeah. It's like Lonnie was talking about how his shoulders were bending forward, and he was doing things completely different. He could have said. I I went ahead and squatted, but that's not really a squat. That's some other, you know, version of what we wouldn't even call a squat, right? Because he yeah. was better than that, but he wasn't doing that. And so some people say, yeah, you know, I did this, I did that. And I have them show me, and I'm like, that's not what I would do. And they said, why? I said, well, you're building in neurological faulty patterns. Why would you do that? Do one rep correct as opposed to ten in, or nine yeah. incorrectly and one correctly, because that's going to have a, a more overbearing uh, power of the neurological patterning uh, patterning in there, if you do it that way. Let's just do it right one time and then take a rest, come back, do it right again. And next thing you know, you start doing two and three and four, and you're building up that confidence. But also like what um, Lonnie was talking about is he went in with someone that he believed in, and the guy said, hey, listen, you're not going to be doing more damage. So now he's, believed, he's, he's built a belief pattern of I'm going to be okay, and he can go out there, and now he can't actually do it without trying to uh, – uh, change the pattern of the way he's lifting
0: this this whole conversation reminds me there's an old martial arts saying, and it's probably in other fields too that when under stress, one reverts to his training, and it's kind of what Phil's talking about with you know these subconscious motor patterns or or not thinking about each step, you know oh, that feels okay, okay, I'm gonna add in a little bit more strength, and this stone will come up if it's okay and, and instead of just just lift the stone,
3: yeah, you know I mean. Yeah, think about I mean, if you've ever had a foot injury or whatnot, just how taxing, like, walking can be when you're thinking each step. Ooh, does that hurt? <laughs> you know, I mean, it's the, the <laughs> smallest injury can turn just regular life life issues into something great. And, and Well, that's what
1: I've found it has been a big difference between traditional bodybuilding training and, and strength training is that the whole concept of not training to negative failure and for the reason being, and I've heard it said before, I can't remember who said it, you don't want to train yourself to fail. Yeah,
3: so probably. going
1: back to what was said a few minutes ago about, you know, um, you know calling a halt to a set before you actually get to a point where, you know, not only do you are you not able to not lift the weight anymore, but you're stopping it before form starts degrading.
0: Yeah. So
1: you're, so you're training yourself to actually perform to not to fail and to do things properly um, as opposed to, again, just letting things slowly deteriorate to the point where you're, you know, it's not how, you know, technique wise you want it to be.
0: So. I used to have a track coach when I was pole vaulting in high school, and he'd say, You're tired, stop. You know, because pole vaulting's a very coordination, motor pattern driven kind of event. And he wouldn't even let us practice. If, he, if we looked really tired, he'd be like, You're done. You know?
3: Yeah. I mean, I think the positive reinforcement, especially as a strength athlete or any athlete, I mean, practice perfection. I mean, exactly. things start going bad, you get out. I mean, that's a. I had a string there of a year and a half where I never, ever, ever missed a single rep in a deadlift, you know, and I don't ever want to miss one, but that leads me to going into competitions, and I have no doubt when I walk up to that bar, I'm going to get it, and I firmly believe a lot of the the PRs and and records and stuff I said are
4: just, I, I willed it up. Yeah, and listen, <laughs> isn't that pretty much what Lonnie said? He said you're going to revert back to what you did in your training. So yeah. if you got every single rep and you're going for a personal best, I've gotten this every other time. Who cares yeah. what the weight is, right? Yes. I've gotten yeah. this every other time, and you go back to that subconscious program of I've done this every day in practice, yeah. as opposed to well, I got this about I got about 50 chance because I've gotten this 50 percent of the time.
1: Mm-hmm. Well, even going back to Ed Cohn again, Lonnie was referring to him, and I said. He once said that a guy asked him, Oh, you know, you're you're doing nine seventy five on this next squat. do you ever do you fear that? And he's like, There's really nothing to fear. If I've done everything correctly in my training mm. up until, up to that point, there's it's it's just another weight on the bar. Um might as well be one hundred thirty five. So yeah. No,
3: that's well see clear. now
2: this has become interesting because you know, you have to distinguish between um the effect of pain and the effect of fear that's caused from the pain, right? So sometimes... True. There's, that's there's,
3: where the fine pain, line
2: is. Pain has, you know, in other words, if you're altering your movement patterns, is it because of the pain or is it because of the fear associated with the pain or the meaning that you attribute to that pain?
4: Yes. Or or do you have pain because you did alter your patterns, you just don't know it?
2: Yeah, correct. Which which caused which? So,
4: right, so it's it's a feedback, and you just have to figure out what is it trying to tell me. It's giving you information, is it the right information or not? You know, like I tell my patients, you know, if you look down a set of railroad tracks, they converge, right? And they said, yeah. I said, well, that's sight. Your sight is deceiving you, but in, the vision is, is that the railroad tracks? You know that they go parallel forever. I mean, they they don't they yeah. don't go. Or if you look at a ship go off the edge of the the ocean as it goes away from the the, the shore, it sinks it in down into the water. That's what your eyes tell you, but we know that's not what happens. That's the difference between sight and vision. So with that in in injuries, you have to try to figure out what. What is this trying to tell me? Is this because I'm doing something wrong, or do I have pain and I need to stop doing what I'm doing because I am causing damage? That's what you have to try to figure out. That's that's the tough part.
3: Mm-hmm.
2: Let me throw a question out there because everybody here lists. And uh, does anyone besides me ever wonder what their pain tolerance is? I mean, do you ever do you ever watch somebody else dealing with pain and then say, you know, I wonder if I'm just being a big wussy, or, you know, I don't I wonder if that occurs to people because it's such a subjective thing and. Uh, um, you know, most high-level athletes deal with pain all the time. And uh, when you're struggling with your own stuff, uh, you know, I-, I wonder how many people out there just really have ever wondered, you know, if their concept of pain tolerance uh, is kind of miscalibrated.
1: I definitely think over, over many years of t- doing something intensely physical, um, yeah, your ability to tolerate things is, is pushed back and back and back. I mean, one of the things I always say to people is, You know, one of the differences between people who achieve um, greatness in something and and not is your ability to tolerate discomfort, whatever that might be. And certainly the further you go along, as I'm sure Phil can attest to, you know, you have to tolerate more and more, whether it be through injury or just the discomfort of what you're doing. So I I think that's trained as well, yeah.
3: I think that's one of the great biggest things that I've had to learn um, from being catastrophically injured from a very early age. Um, and dealing with pain from like the age of seven when I was pretty much ripped apart. I mean, it was – I think that definitely my perception of pain has changed, and I think it has actually in a negative way led me – it's led me to getting large injuries because I have the ability to ignore it and keep pushing, and I've had to learn to listen. Listen, to hey, you actually hurt, back off, because I mean – when I get injured, I don't get a little bit injured. Uh, you know, I push things <laughs> to the point where, I mean, it's, I just keep going, and I've had to slowly try and learn, hey, that hurts not just a little bit.
0: So you got Charles, like, trying to reattach your arm. It's like on the floor, torn clean off. <laughs> Finish the yeah, set. Yeah,
3: recreational
2: surgery. But the funny thing is, is Phil kind of gets things accomplished uh, despite all that. So yeah. that's where my uh, my query came from, you
4: know. Well, you know what's funny, though, is most of my athletes have told me exactly that, is that if they had listened, they were getting telltale signs. They just didn't listen. Mm-hmm. You know what I tell patients? It's like driving your car down the road and the the low gas light comes on and you either put a piece of tape over it or you pull the plug you know, you still have low gas no matter how you look at it. You, you can mask the symptoms. You can, you know, ignore it, but you're still going to have it. you just got to figure out what's going on. I mean, is there something wrong with the gauge? Do you really have low gas? Are you driving the wrong way? You know, what, what's going on that, that you have that? The other thing, though, is I've had patients come in with no pain. They were referred by another athlete, and, uh, you know, they have no symptoms. just want me to look at them. So I start treating them, and every time they come in, I say, well, how are things going since last visit? Oh, I feel a lot better. And I go, well, what do you mean you feel better? Well, I don't have any pain. Well, you didn't have pain the first time. It's funny how that we we assume that's normal because that's just the way I've yeah. felt for the last five years or ten years or since this happened. And once you get things functioning better, a lot of times people's pain levels will drop, but they didn't even know they had pain until they felt better. It's all relative, isn't it?
0: Well, that, I think that's why pain – I mean pain evolved in human beings as a protective mechanism. Sometimes it's healthy, right? When you get burned by a fire, you don't decide to go run through the bonfire, and it, <laughs> that's a healthy thing. Then you know, pass on your genes, you know, but – I uh, yeah, I think the trick is to decide what's discipline uh you know versus stupidity and that a lot of that comes with maturity and I think for younger guys who are less experienced a lot of that has to also come from professional advice you know if if you've got a health professional or a trainer or someone uh helping you make that decision you know do am I do I stay disciplined and um train through this because I don't want to detrain and get weakened and create this vicious you know cycle of worse injury uh, versus when I say, listen, I'm going to take four or six weeks off, or whatever I have to, or train other body parts, or you know, or some kind of different periodization scheme, uh, and and try to let myself heal. So discipline versus uh, wise choices—it's it, it, always a fine line.
3: I mean, to go further, I mean, I think I'm not saying that it's definitely not my worst enemy. I, I think it's led to some injury, but I mean, I'm more thankful for anything I've been through than anything because I think it's led to more more progress than anything because, I mean, from an early age, again, I get injured now, and within seconds after I'm injured, I'm not upset. It's, I'm, okay, I'm going to get over this, and I know. I mean, I think that's another thing with pain. You just got to know, and mentally, something happens, and it's like, okay, it's just another bump in the road. Like I was talking to um, Fortress before the show. It's like, I'll be stronger, and and meaner and smarter next week after I come back from this. You know, and it's just not a question. And it's just that you get that from actually putting through going through adversity. You know, and dealing with it. Well.
4: Cool stuff. Well isn't that what they say that the uh, definition of growth is where you're on the border between chaos and order. Yeah. Good one. So, you know, if you're not if you're not feeling any, I wouldn't say pain, but if you're not feeling discomfort, are you really probably doing anything in your workout? Yeah,
2: yeah.
4: Right? But then if you're feeling a lot of pain, then you're probably doing more than your body can handle at that point, at that time, or that day, or... You know, whatever your mental frame of mind is and that kind of thing. So but it's that, that fine line on that border and trying to stay there, not go one direction or the other, but stay right in that fine line. Yeah, it's walking that fine line and learning the difference between strain and pain. Yeah. yeah.
0: That's where discipline can go bad. You know, damn it, I'm gonna do two more reps. Well, you just kinda tweak something or other, you know, rack the frickin' bar, you know.
3: <laughs> I mean that's very hard for beginners and I think the upper level you know those are the two when you're in between it's kind of a bit more but i mean beginners they think just limited straining is pain because they haven't had it before and then you know you get to the upper level and man when you're picking up really really heavy things it's a fine line between strain and pain (laughs) you are walking that fine line yeah all right well i think this is a good one guys um let's i do have two other things to do here i got a I'm gonna draw a name out of uh, a raffle for my uh, charity event I got going on here, and uh, announce a winner. And then also, we don't have a question, but we got kind of an offer for Lonnie here on the on the Q and A. Oh. Lonnie, while you're in with while you're in uh, Wisconsin, you can uh, go work out with Justin or Andy. And Justin's in Madison, and Andy's in Milwaukee. And Andy's actually downstairs right now, staying at the Bed and Barbell. <laughs> So if you need some training partners, uh you got you got Justin in Madison, Wisconsin and Andy in Milwaukee and I can attest they're both uh they're both strong guys
0: Cool. You know, guys send me an email through the uh www.ironradio.org website. I'll get it. And uh maybe I'll actually take you up on that.
1: There you go. So have any of those uh eight by ten glossies you can sign for them?
0: The nudes. Good <laughs> 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 nice. Uh no, that that wouldn't be me
3: going to send oh. five or six here. We'll give one to every client that comes. <laughs> uh, okay, and uh, before I draw this, I do want to uh, stress to everybody, check out the website, www.liftforhope.org. I'm holding a strength event for uh, big brothers and big sisters. It's a great cause, and I have tons of stuff to give away. So this one's actually a local a local drawing, and it's for some pizza here. So um, let's pull it out here. It'd be Kim Paradiso. Won the uh, one thirty five dollars worth of pizza from New York Pizza Department.
1: Where's the audience clapping uh, sound effect? Oh, oh yeah,
3: God! I'm falling on <laughs> yeah, the floor. Yeah, you're ball. the
0: sound effects guy. Come on.
3: Come on. I know, I'm coming here. Jeez. <laughs> uh, it's gonna be a late one. Here we go. <laughs> <Okay>. <laughs> here we go.
0: Now that's production value right there. Yeah, uh, <laughs>
3: <laughs> so, um, I guess that's it for today. Dr. John, I want to thank you for coming on again. Again, everybody check out his website. There's a link at the bottom of this page you're looking at right now if you're online. And then you can also go to www.azsports.com. And again, he gave his number early on in the show so you can uh, re listen to the, to the podcast and get that.
4: Yeah, thank you. I enjoyed it.
3: Thanks,
4: everybody. Great show. Okay. Okay. Thanks a lot, guys. <laughs>
0: The Iron Radio Podcast and all of the audio on radio.org is for information purposes. If you're interested in studying a diet or an exercise program, it's important to check with your physician. Also seek the help of registered and dietitians, athletic trainers, and qualified exercise physiologists in order to make